Welcome to the Star Love Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Beck, the Oracle in New Orleans, founder of Inner Makeup Astrology. To learn more about what I do, visit innermakeup.net. And on this beautiful Thursday, Jupiter's Day, we have Basil Farrington. Uh, Basil is very accomplished, uh, an amazing musician, has played with some of the greats of the 20th and 21st century, and we're going to get into that, and is a very prominent astrologer for many years now, uh, authored a book, The New Way to Learn Astrology, sold thousands of copies, spoken at many different conferences, widely published, um, and is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you're really the big protege of Noel Teal, who was, again, one of the most prominent astrologers of the 20th and 21st century. Yeah. And also um, had, you know, sadly, he just passed away not too long ago, but had an amazing musical career like yourself singing Wotan and, you know, Wagner operas. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's a, you know, in my reading of your stuff, there's a real kinship between uh, music and astrology or at least something there. And, you know, not dissimilar to myself because I, as people of the Star Love podcast now, I was a practicing classical musician for a long time and now mm -hmm. I'm a practicing astrologer. Mm -hmm. But anyways, let's uh, get into it. So how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm I'm so honored to uh, be here, and and it's as I said, no matter no matter how long you talk, no matter how many of these that you do, no matter how many lectures or books, it's always an honor mm -hmm. when someone is interested in what you have to say. Thank you. Well, I'm very interested in what you have to say, and I've been having fun uh, reading what you have to say. So you can <laughs> people can go to newwayastrology.tumblr.com, and you know you've been writing quite a bit just recently so it's all up to date but re really go check out uh the website that's newwayastrology.tumblr.com i've been having fun and there's some really great find your writing very direct and to the point and, com <laughs> and, com now, <laughs> and very comedic I, I find you have a good sense of humor and comedy Absolutely. so yeah maybe i would be interested to know your chart a little bit of a sting there too a scorpionic touch at times but <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I don't, provocation can be very helpful at times, you know, so, but anyways, so as I was saying in the introduction, you've, you know, you've had and have an amazing musical career, um, but also an astrology career. Let's first start with music. How did you get started in music? Um, like so many others, I was born into a family. Uh, I have two older brothers. Uh, my next oldest brother is eight years older and my oldest brother is 10 years old mm. um, by the time I was born e even when I was brought home they had musical ambitions mm. so uh, I was brought into a I was born into a home where there was a lot of music around my oldest brother plays drums and my, my other brother who who sort of dropped it he was one of those guys that could play anything in an orchestra um, mm. um, not to a virtuoso level, but he could pick up a bassoon, he could mm. pick up a flute, he could pick mm. up anything, and he could play a scale on it. He knew what was going on. So mm -hmm. even as a four or five year old, um, there was music laying all around the house. I would watch my brother down in the basement practicing drums to record records. And so in elementary school, in the first grade, even when uh, when the kids were when the teacher passed out crayons and the kids were drawing wagons and grass and all that stuff, I was drawing, <laughs> drawing a, a treble clef staff mm -hmm. with notes on it. And I knew what the notes were. 
And this, mm-hmm. this was because of my brothers. So mm-hmm. uh, moving up into like the fourth grade, they put me in the orchestra. I played French horn. I played trumpet. I played mm-hmm. trombone. And um, what happened was uh, between the sixth and the seventh grades, I grew about three or four inches mm-hmm. over, over a summer. The basketball bug hit me. Mm-hmm. And when I went into junior high school, I didn't say anything about music because I wanted to just be a basketball guy. But some some of the uh, the kids from the elementary school orchestra dimed me out. And so uh, I ended up being in the orchestra in junior high school. But when I went to high school, I definitely didn't say anything about music. I was a basketball star rated mm-hmm. number 23 in the state of Pennsylvania, something like that. And what happened um, was that my father sort of burned me out of a college education. Uh, At that time, there were no full scholarships. There were only half scholarships. And he was saying he couldn't afford it. So I'm stuck. What am I going to do? Well, let me turn this music into something. And so Mm. my brother had showed me bass guitar two years prior. Mm. And I was good at it. So... I joined the local band uh, around in West Philly, and what happened was one day that in that that band we saw uh, an invite. A guy was looking for a band to cover some new singers, and those new singers happened to be the then unknown Sister Sledge. Oh wow! Nope, nobody knew anything about them. They were, I think, the, the Kathy, the lead singer at the time, was like 10 years old or something. And so that was my that was my first uh, first thing in music, and it just developed from there. Wonderful. So, what type of going back? What type of music was around the house when you were growing up? I mean, you said there were lots of you know musical scores around, lots of records. What type of music was in the house? Jazz and R and B specifically. Okay. Those, those are my my roots. Jazz and R and B. I'm interested. And everything. I can't tell you that I've ever bought. Uh, I've definitely never bought opera. I've never sat around and listened to opera. Mm-hmm. But any other genre I'm into, I have played. Um, but the, the basis of what I'm about come from jazz and R&B. You know, and this is somewhat of a musical question, but I'm quite, it's funny, I was just thinking about this the other day, because oftentimes anymore, when I think of bass lines, I think that bass lines actually can and should be melodic. So I'm interested, if you kind of think about it that way, that, you know, when you were very young, you were writing melodies in treble clef. And do you, when you're playing bass, do you think about it somewhat melodically? Absolutely. Um, okay, this is so interesting, isn't it? <laughs> especially in... in um... In jazz, um, mm-hmm. things developed in the in the 70s on bass guitar, and you had people, you know, a guy like Stanley Clark who took it upon himself to he, he used to be upset that the bass player was looked at as the guy in the back that nobody could hardly hear, right, and that kind of thing. So he was sort of the first guy to promote doing uh, melodies mm-hmm. and things on bass that were not just sitting back in the corner and, mm-hmm. and being half audible. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think, so my background is in classical music, but I think there's an analog too. Like even if you have a pedal tone and a long long tone and like a Bach, 
you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. this passion or something that should still have a resonance and spin that should be melodic. I just, it's so interesting because I was just thinking about that. And then you brought it up as far as your childhood is writing out melody is wonderful. Yeah. So. Okay, one wow, Sister Sledge. So we are family. I mean, huge artists. So you know, you've had this amazing musical career. I just want to go down the list. I mean, these are some of the greats, but Roberta Flack. Wow. <laughs> so what has it been like to work with her? Um, Roberta. Uh, I, you know, I like to. I have this phrase that I use that um, there are people as you go through life that are important on your life's resume and R- Roberta is one of the the top I would say if I had to name five people Roberta would be one of them um she is was looked upon as sort of the Miles Davis of pop music mm-hmm. and by that I mean in New York really just period in the 70s if you didn't play with Miles or if you didn't play with Roberta, you were you weren't really doing much. Just about everybody who did anything played with uh, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I joined Roberta and it, it just changed my life. It was my first time international travel. It was my first time doing a pop recording session. Um, she sang at my wedding. She paid for my honeymoon. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it was just a, a great experience. I was with her on and off cumulatively for six years mm. and, and, and learned a lot uh, about music, about being functioning with a singer and, and, and so forth. Yeah, it, it was a, a great experience, one that I think was meant to be. Yeah, and the thing that I personally love about Roberta, especially coming from a classical background, if you listen to her piano chops, there's such a golden singing tone that, you know, again, like yourself, starting off with some sort of technique, whether it's, you know, reading and writing music or, but just, you could, I could imagine her, and from what I was reading, she actually did accompany opera singers at various points, and this golden tone, like she could be playing Schubert or Rachmaninoff, but then just as easily bring that kind of fine acuity to a popular recording which yeah. you know okay you know I, I, we could sit here all day and talk about <laughs> this and I, I know it's it's really extraordinary uh but the thing that I was when I was learning about you when you talk about Roberta Fleck you also have to talk about Donny Hathaway who huh? one of my extraordinary singer did you ever cross paths with Donny Hathaway I did wow um, we um there was a song one of the more popular songs that I recorded with Roberta uh, Donnie was on, it's called Back Together Again. Mm-hmm. And the evening that they did the vocals, I went to the studio uh, to, to, you know, to check it out. And uh, Donnie hadn't arrived yet, so I'm in the bathroom and I hear somebody come in. And my first, so my first meeting with Donnie Hathaway was in <laughs> the bathroom at Atlantic Records. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at that time, he was not well. Uh, he had been in and out of psychological problems for right. a long time because my understanding is that uh, he had a problem with his homosexuality. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't want to be that way. And uh, there were a number of other things going on. So 
he was when I first met him, he was in deep psychological trouble. And in fact, after that vocal session that night, about six or seven hours later is when he committed suicide. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he was. What can you say about that voice? I mean, uh, it is, it, oh. you know, I just I remember this was years ago, but I just remember oftentimes at night I would be sitting in my car listening to, you know, a song for you or for all we know. I mean, this man, just one of the most extraordinary voices, yeah. you know, like a clarion tone. I mean, there was just no stopping his voice. Totally sustenuto. <laughs> oh, it, no, it, it is. I mean, people, one of my hopes is that people listening to this because it is the star love podcast i mean we focus on astrology but i don't think the astrology should be divorced from the larger humanities uh and so you know i feel like we should all bring our full selves to astrology which you know it's extraordinary your musical background so i'm trying to do that and just for maybe for younger people who don't maybe know some of these artists uh to really go out and listen um to yourself and some of these artists because there's just so much it's a rich treasure that we've been gifted uh with this stuff Mm -hmm. wow that's you know and it's oh that yeah it's that you know that was Oh, wow. Um, well, like I was saying again, you know, please go out and listen to some of these artists, but we, we do have to move on. But you also I mean, many people will know the name Stevie Wonder. So what has your association been like playing with Stevie Wonder? Um, that was that that happened once. And because you know, Stevie is so big, you know, if you had anything to do with them, you put it on your resume. What happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened was um, I was with Roberta and we were amongst the artists who opened the Martin Luther King Center in Atlanta. Mm. And this was in the 70s. And uh, Stevie was the closer. We were on there. I forget the other artists. I know comedian Dick Gregory, comedian activist Dick Gregory was on it. I can't remember any of the other musical artists. So at one point during the evening, I was sitting in the dressing room and get a knock on the door and it's Stevie and his manager. So, uh, he says, uh, Roberta has given me permission to come in and I'd like to speak with Basil and Howard. <laughs> so How- Howard was the is the drummer. So we're like, wow, what's going on? OK, yeah, we're here, Steve. And he said, listen, uh, my drummer and my bass player. The, the flight got caught in inclement weather coming out of Los Angeles. I need a drummer and a bass player. Can you you think you guys can do it? Uh, really, all I want you to do is happy birthday. That's the only song I'm going to do <laughs> because that's that's what's appropriate for opening, you know, opening this center. So uh, the the drummer, I mean, he, he it's no big deal playing the drums. But I said, yeah, I think I know uh, happy birthday, Steve. And he said, well, what we'll do is when we get up on stage, um, if you feel like you're having an issue, nudge me and I'll call out the chord changes or something. And it, it never had to, uh, it never went to that. So we did happy birthday and then the crowd started going so nuts. They asked for a, uh, for him to do just a, another regular Stevie song. So we did one, I think it was You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Mm-hmm. And that was my Stevie Stevie experience. Uh, experience. It's not like I worked in his band for years. His bass player uh, is somebody that I know and I've met. 
And he's been on Stevie's payroll 30, 40 years. Mm. But that particular evening, he couldn't make it because of weather. So mm-hmm. I, got, I got a chance to work with Stevie for a second. Okay, next, George Benson. So, you know, give me the night. But what, what, how was mm-hmm. playing with George Benson? Uh, that was a recording session. I was involved in, there was a t- television show in the late 90s that ran number two opposite Seinfeld. It was called New York Undercover. Mm. I was on the staff of musicians who did the music for that. And every, on that show, uh, there was an entertainment club called Natalie's. And so every, the goal was every week to have an artist appear at Natalie's. And, you know, we had tons of them. Aside from George, Luther Vandross, mm. Temptations, the, I mean, just tons and tons and tons of people. And um, so George Benson was one of them. And we did uh, this masquerade for uh, for, for George mm. did recording session. And I'd met him when I was sort of like a musical toddler uh, at <laughs> 18 or 19 years old. And, uh, you know, he's always been an idol. He's such a virtuoso. Mm. A lot of people outside of music don't know. He doesn't read at all. You know, he doesn't like if he looks at the staff, he doesn't know a D from a G. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I actually want to talk about that a little bit because it's it's very interesting, regardless of reading music or not reading music. But OK, so George Benson, Mary J. Blige, real love. You know, mm-hmm. how about how about. You know, Mary J. Blige. Same same deal. That came from New York Undercover. Okay. Um, she's absolute sweetheart. Came in, did did the job, did the work. Um, as she's not somebody that I toured with, but I feel like that one evening, mm-hmm. uh, I got a chance really to to get a, a substantial part of what she's about, and she's a, like a wonderful person. And mm-hmm. you know, as a singer, forget it. Mm. Oh my God! Yes. Um, okay, Grover Washington. <laughs> yeah, um, Grover from my uh, the late Grover is from my hometown, Philadelphia. What happened? Uh, a colleague, Gerald Veasley, great bass player, overbooked himself. He had been Grover's regular bass player for years, and he overbooked himself. He asked me if I would do a tour for him, and so uh, I did. And Grover was just of all of the people that I've worked with, and there have been a lot, he's mm-hmm. the one guy that you wouldn't mind having at home for dinner every mm-hmm. evening. He's just mm-hmm. a, great, a great guy, a sweetheart, uh, a wonderful player. Just uh, uh, he was a really, really regular guy. It was so heartfelt, disappointing, hurtful to hear that, you know, about his passing at, at, mm-hmm. at an early age like that. But man, oh man, what a great experience. Uh, we always left the stage with people clapping and stomping and it was just a great time. Mm. So one of the things that's interesting, right, as we get into the interview is, you know, a lot of the musicians were talking about whether, you know, reading music or having some sort of classical background like Roberta, or as you say, not being able to read music, but really kind of developing some sort of technique to fall back on. And that's as I'm, you know, learning about your work, that seems to be a common golden thread that it's not 
necessarily all at once, but it is really honing your craft or having some kind of craft. Could you talk about that, the necessity to have some kind of technique or craft, whatever you're doing, whether it's music or astrology or setting your mise en place if you're cooking at home or, or some <laughs> some kind of technique? What you know, It seems to be a big thing for you. Um, yeah, in, in music, outside of, uh, you know, I can't vouch for, for uh, classical music, but in any form of popular music, if you are an instrumentalist, in the beginning, you have to figure out who you are. That's very, very important. You, you've got to know who you are and what you think you're about and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then... From that point, like what I did, I found people who were virtuosos at what I wanted to achieve. And I made it my business to try and meet these people, become friends with them, and, and, and so forth. And uh, it's the, the, the process is one of developing as high technique as you can on whatever your particular instrument is. That includes every style that there is, reading, you name it. Um, that really, if, if you were to talk to anybody in music outside of uh, classical and probably outside of country as well, that they're, they're going to talk to you. They're going to say the same thing that I, I just did. You find out who you are. Mm-hmm. You develop the technique to support that. You try and meet people who can help you. Uh, help you with it. Like anytime I developed an idol, I made it my business to try and meet that idol, find out how they did what they did so I could learn from it. And even in astrology, that's what I did with Noel Till. I, I, one day I was in a bookstore. I saw his books. I flipped out. So I got to meet this guy, find mm-hmm. out, find out how he does what he does so I can do it. Right. And you, you got started you like music, you got started quite early with astrology, correct? Yeah, my brother introduced me to astrology in 1967 at age 13. Wow. And and the reason why um, was uh, my sun sign is Leo. I'm Leo, Virgo, Moon, Capricorn, Ascended. Mm. Uh, early in life, very early, I was a real Leo. Everything that you that you read about Leo, I was a real I was a real Leo because in school I was smarter than everybody else. I was taller. Mm-hmm. I was athletic. Mm-hmm. Even outside of school, in the neighborhood, when we went to play football in the street, I was the quarterback for both teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I was. Um, and it's not bragging or anything. It's just some kids are more more advanced quickly than other kids. And so right. I was really, really, really full of myself. And so my brother <laughs> came in and he gave me this book and he said, read this paragraph. And I'm reading this. Leo, the king of the jungle, the, the, the center center of existence, the, you know, the, this. Oh, wow. This is nice. And I'm a Leo. OK, this this works. I felt that it, it fit me at the time. I don't feel mm-hmm. that now, but uh, <laughs> that that was the the beginning of of it. And I went from reading that paragraph in that book. The next day, I went to the bookstore and bought my first book. Book. It was uh, Llewellyn's A to Z Horoscope Maker and Delineator. Mm-hmm. It's like a six hundred page cookbook. Right. And uh, it, it just developed from there. 
Wow. So, and then as you say, you've really found your mentor and then you, you were able to move on. So what was that process? Like you start studying and then you, you, as you say, like whether it's music or astrology, you find that sort of defining mentor because you're really into him. And, you know, how did that transpire? Yeah. Um, so I, I was in the, the, at the time there was a bookstore in Manhattan called uh, the New York Astrology Center. So I, I went in and I saw these books of, of his started reading. I flipped out, uh, just flipped out. There was a 12 volume set of his. I bought all 12 volumes. I became obsessed with them. Um, I was busy at the time. I had just gotten, uh, I was playing with a fusion violinist named Michael Urbaniak, and we were about to go on a tour. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have time to get with Noel at that time. But the next year, um, I had a consultation with him. That was in September of 1976. Mm -hmm. 22 years old, had just come back off tour with Roberta from Japan, China, and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, we hit it off really, really well. And obviously at that time there was no social media, there was no internet, anything like that. So he opened the door for me. He really seemed to like me. We, we, it was just from the first second, we just liked each other. Mm -hmm. Um, he left the door open for me to write to him or call him and ask him questions about that. I had a question about, and I did that like constantly and we're talking 10 12 years I'm, I'm asking him questions and mm. so forth even after i became a pro myself which was in 1980 mm -hmm. I, I was still asking him questions because it, it, some of the things in those books they were just blowing me away that somebody could come could originate uh ideas like like he did that work so well mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like there was a, like you said, you really got along and, you know, you have a different musical background, but he actually had this big background in opera. Yes. And so do you feel like there was a kinship kind of because of that, that you had somewhat of a parallel track with each other? Uh, I, I don't think that that had uh, anything to do with it. Later on, that came into play and, and we would we would talk about it. Mm -hmm. But initially, his appreciation for me was this guy really, really, really wants to know astrology. He's really intelligent, mm -hmm. and he, I really want to help him. He, uh, most of the people in the community, when they think of Noel, one of the first couple of things they're going to think of is ego. He had a Leo moon, <laughs> and, and is just, if you spend five minutes, if you spend five minutes with him, there was no doubt that there was a Leo something because mm -hmm. you, you just knew. And, um, well, I, I'm, I'm get, getting off track here, but yeah, that's okay. The, 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 in, what happened was in the, um, as I started asking him questions through the, uh, through the years in the nineties, I got published by a magazine that no longer in existence called a American astrology magazine. The editor of that magazine, Ken, forgot his last name, um, is someone that Noel had previously gone to and bragged about me to. So mm -hmm. when my article came in and he saw it, he went to Noel and he said, hey, I got a, a manuscript from this guy Basil you were telling me about. 
this is one of the best manuscripts I wrote on the lunation cycle. This is one of the best I've I've received in a long time. And mm-hmm. Noel's like, see, I told you he was. <laughs> and uh, from that, um, there was uh, I got an after that an article in Dell Horoscope magazine. So Noel, seeing my progress, asked me to participate. At the time, he was doing series for Llewellyn. He did a series on sexuality. He did a series on vocational astrology. And in these books, he would invite uh, X amount of astrologers to give their uh, to give their take on whatever the subject matter was. So um, I got a call one day from him and he said, well, Basil, you know, I'm doing these series for Llewellyn. And I have this one book, you know, no one, no one has ever been allowed to do the introduction to a Noel Till book. Basil, (laughs) I'm asking you to be the first one to write an introduction to my book. I'm like, I'm like in tears when, you know, when he, he told me, it was like, Oh my goodness. So, um, I did two books right back to back with him in 95, 96. Um, and then in 98, got a phone call from him. One day he asked me if I he explained to me that there was a a lady in South Africa who was enamored with his methodology and she wanted it taught in South Africa. He said to me, you know, I'm too busy to do that, but you're not. (laughs) Would you relocate for me? And so I, I spent a year in South Africa teaching, teaching his course. And that is really what set me up as uh, for being a teacher. Okay, wonderful. So let's get into, you know, that type of approach of astrology and even defining astrology. How do you, you know, every, it's funny, everybody comes on the Star Love podcast and everybody has a different definition of astrology, which I love because it's, you know, different flavors. And But how do you define astrology? It's the use, it's the use of planetary movement to help guide uh, humans to make best decisions, um, to plan events, um, and really to help gauge identity, to help gauge what a person needs, what they don't need, when they should pursue something, when they should not pursue something. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way that, that I see it. I, I see it as a guide. I don't mm-hmm. see it as uh, one of the things that was such a turnoff in my, my early years for first primary years, when I'd have these astrologers look at my chart, I walk away thinking this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wanted, that was one of the things about Noel that uh, lured me in was because it, it wasn't nonsense. It was uh, psychological knee, ther- knee therapy. And all that is, is say, for example, a person has mercury and cancer. Well, the astrology book would say, might say that you think emotionally. And what that, what that does is gives a blanket statement that everybody in the history of the world with mercury and cancer thinks emotionally. Mm-hmm. We, know that, we know that that's not the truth. Right now, we could go in a mall and find people with mercury and cancer <laughs> who are far from that as possible. But what Noel did was add a word. The mercury and cancer person needs to think emotionally. Mm. If they are not thinking that way, 
then something has happened uh, that, that took them off course. But for this person to be the most fulfilled, they need to think and communicate in terms of emotions and emotional security. And, and that that changes things from you're this and you're that because you have this planet and this sign and this house mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of uh, giving everyone with a position, painting them the, the, the same way. It, it's just so irritating because mm-hmm. humans have this thing called willpower. Right. And we, we do what we do when we want to do it, whether it's in accordance with, with a, a horoscope or not. Now, if a person is being themselves, if they're on the right path, then the heart, that person and their horoscope are going to be at one. But there are plenty of people. What happens to the child that's born to the single drug addict parent and that parent loses that child at the age of four? And then that child has to fend for self through foster care, all kinds of bad situations. At age 16, they're given the opportunity to start dealing drugs. Now, certainly none of that is in the horoscope, but life circumstances have taken over. Mm-hmm. Such a person could uh, could have all kinds of this and that in the horoscope, but because of the life that they're living, they don't have the opportunity to take advantage of it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really big on not painting people all one one thing because astrology says so. So to, if I may, so you take a pretty on the fate free will question that we actually do have a large amount of free will. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do. Um, and we we do. I, I believe that if a person is being themselves then they're going to be a really close representation of that horoscope. But there are, I don't know, I, I did a, I told a story uh, on a Chris Brennan podcast, and I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, in South Africa, there, there was a TV show that took place, kind of like a Tonight Show kind of thing. And uh, Noel was on it, and I was there. And in the green room, there was a, 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 a black African guy who asked me to if he could get with me for a consultation. And so he gave me the, the birth information and, and even not being in front of my computer from the birth information. It's like, wow, this guy's born the same day as Bill Clinton. And it looks like he was born in the morning like Bill Clinton. So w- once I got to the software and I, I, I saw that uh, his horoscope was almost identical to Bill Clinton's. Yet you have this guy who was raised in apartheid, which means uh, couldn't read, mm-hmm. couldn't. He, he was a complete victim of the circumstances of, of his, his life. So let's say I had Bill Clinton and him sitting sitting in front of me. Am I going to say the same things to that African that I would say to Bill Clinton? You know, it, 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 you can't. You the astrology has to be addressed in terms of the life that the person is living. If you discount the life, if you just get, get, apply one meaning, one thing to every single person, 
in a consultation setting, you're going to get egg, egg on your face because <laughs> not everybody is not everybody with the moon and cancer is like what an astrology book says the moon and cancer is. Mm-hmm. But they, it's just that they need to be like that in order to mm. fulfill. And that's the difference between the older astrology and sort of psychological humanistic is that you're not confining a person's life to what you know about astrology. Mm-hmm. You're, help, it, you're helping to guide them to have a better life based on what you see in the chart. And, you know, people, because your, your your website is called newwayastrology.tumblr.com. And like I said, I've been having fun. So just to give people an example about, you know, how to approach astrology in this way, you give a story and you give a chart example of, okay, here's a chart. And it you know some of the aspects look difficult um and, and you you say get rid of bad and good thinking but still for for argue you know for example for an example you know this person comes in with this chart and it's like what do my prospects look like for finances and the astrologer says well not well and then the person who was incognito takes off her glasses and makeup and says, BS, I'm Rihanna. I'm worth $600 million. Okay. So, so I, and actually that's why I'm telling everybody go to this website, your website. Cause it's really, I've been having, it's fun actually to read through all this stuff, but, but yet it's, as you say, it's what, um, this is a quote from your website. I think you determine how the horoscope is lived out and utilized. So yeah. Yeah, there you go. And, get, and getting rid rid of like good or bad thinking, kind of like binary thinking like that. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I was a part until recently, I was a part of um, a person asked me to be involved in a Facebook astrology uh, page. And I eventually I had to get off of it because it was nauseating. Some, <laughs> some of the things that I saw that people actually believe it was just, oh, boy, oh, boy, it would give me, I get get done with answering a question, and my wife would look at me like somebody took gunshots at me. Or, or <laughs> oh, my God. It was just really, I'm going to give you an example, and this is one. Um, <laughs> well, I bet your wife was telling you to get off of the Facebook group. <laughs> oh, she, she, she did several times before, before, yeah. <laughs> um, before I finally did, but there was a right. guy who asked this question, why is it that women with the North Node and Scorpio are smelly down there? Oh, my God. <laughs> I said to myself, are you, first of all, I, I took the guy off the page for, for being saying such a ugh, such a nasty thing. But. Over and over again on that page, you'd find these people, and none of them are professional. They've all read half a book. They have they have what I call in- Instagram mindset. And Instagram mindset is that you don't do anything for long. You basically, you're, and these are people who scroll through astrology. They've read uh, a couple pages out of a book. They've gone mostly to internet uh, websites, and they don't know. They don't have any actual experience with people. So they believe what they see and they believe what they hear. And th- this whole thing about, uh, well, gee, I have Venus square Saturn. Oh, my God. Why does God hate me? <laughs> and you, you have to understand that what's happening in a horoscope with these hard aspects is that they are your lessons. Just like mm-hmm. when you go, you go to high school 
you have if you have if you're an uh, have an academic course, you have to pass algebra. You have mm-hmm. to pass geometry. You know, if you were like me and you went to a college prep uh, school, you had to pass physics. You had to pass chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's all these hard aspects are. They aren't bad. If you have uh, Neptune in opposition to Mercury, that's the universe saying, hey, dude, if you can learn how to focus and, and concentrate, there are a lot of things with creativity or spirituality that you could do really well with. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be stupid. To re-. You know, it's not that, <laughs> you know, so, that, okay, that, so- that good and bad stuff. You, you see people, oh, I hate my Scorpio moon. Why do I have <laughs> nauseating okay so let's take this opportunity so you know let's right now star love podcast how because i was going back before developing a technique figuring out who you are you know and then trying to craft that technique to approach that but but how can people who are you know um really getting into astrology how can they really do that um, because you see, okay, this stuff on Facebook is not great, but but what's the the positive uh, answer to that? So hey, you know what? Because you know I talk to people all day, you know clients, and everything. Okay, if you're wanting to get into astrology, go check this out and, and learn. You got to learn at your pace, but do your work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always that glamorous, but you learn in time. You have insights along the way. But what would you say? Okay, you know what, guys, don't get involved in this. Get involved in this. Uh, yeah, don't get involved in social media, astrology, <laughs> or, or, or anything other than great books. You mm-hmm. got to study. You you and you you've got to study different authors. Um, anybody that I know that who has who's well respected in astrology, who has done a lot of stuff, you know, Steve Forrest, Lee Lehman, uh, I could name tons of people. Mm-hmm. They all have that background behind because first of all the people in our age bracket i'm 66 they're older than i am Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you could could learn astrology was through a book right and and that that's what i'm saying now you you find the astrology that you like you look around for the books that uh talk about it and you study those books um you go to lectures Mm -hmm. do everything that you can do but no not facebook not Instagram, not Reddit, not none of that stuff, you know, get it from a book. Well, just, you know, one of my favorite books uh, for me personally, I always talk about this, Isabel Hickey's book. Um, mm. Yeah. And the, the reason I bring this up is because she astrology is not to be trifled with. I mean, she said that we have to live with the karma of what we say. Uh-huh. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So. You know, you know, I used to live in Boston, tough Boston ladies. So, I mean, you don't mess with it. But um, okay, another thing that I'm, you know, looking, you know, learning about your approach is, you know, we don't want to change human beings. We don't want to change. But this is a quote from your website. You'd agree with me that life is full of change. Nature is full of change. Our existences are based on change. So we resist change. But my question is, you know. Like you said, you know, you have to go to the old sources, but the new sources, I'm actually reading this book, um, Crying of Lot 49. It's an old book, Thomas Pynchon. But, you know, this guy's writing about like Jacobian plays, but, 
second law of thermodynamics and divination. So it's like all over history, but it's still very like progressive in a way that it looks forward. So how do you say like, look, you have to, you know, maybe consult some of these old sources, but bring it into the future just as the way that change is the nature of life. It's the nature of cosmos and nature itself. Uh, first of all, it's, it's a, it's a topic that I don't, uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, sort of a hard question to, to answer, but, sure. um, there are things that used to be in astrology, part of fortune, for example, the, the, the part of fortune, I'm still waiting. This is uh, how many years have I been in astrology? Um, 66 minus 13. So that's, that's 53 years. In 53 years, I'm still waiting for somebody to say something intelligent about the part of fortune and how it's helpful to a, a person in the horoscope. Mine is in the second house. And back mm-hmm. when I was first starting, oh, this and that about money and, and so forth. And the whole thing about money in the second house is another topic we can get to. But right. Uh, you, you you cannot astrology was developed at a time when people could hardly read. They could hardly write um, life expectancy was 30, mm-hmm. 35 or 40. It was a completely different reality. So astrology was developed during a period a period of time when the reality was completely different than it is today. And because of that, there are certain things in astrology that uh uh, are completely fate oriented that this is going to happen and that is going to happen because back in those early days things were mostly bad mm-hmm. they didn't even really understand like when the sun went down Ooh, what happened why mm-hmm. is it dark you know that, that that kind of thing which is why the actual original christmas celebration of december 25th was to celebrate the fact that oh it's getting light Right. Lighter at the end of the day again. Right. So they made December 25th, you know, like the the day of celebration. And of course, it took on a life of its own uh, later on down the line. But the bottom line is that you can, for me, dealing with a person in a consultation, you can't use those old things Mm -hmm. because if you do, it's a bunch of this is good and that's not. And I can't tell you every other a client that I get say they will say to me, this astrologer that I went to, oh, he depressed. I was depressed for two weeks. I had to take off two days from work. And that should yeah. not happen. Every client should feel better about their life. I know it, this, this does happen. And I get, I, it's funny. I actually get references from other spiritual practitioner and they're like, geez, I really, I kind of messed up. Can you, and it's like, they're coming into me and I'm like, Oh my God, like what? And I have to, it's like doing, I don't know, like clean up surgery or something. Yeah, and it, exactly. you have to, I don't know. Well, you're a musician. I mean, it's somewhat having to be virtuosic about it. Yeah. I mean, it's really, yes, I, I really feel. Okay. So just, just quickly. So, just, you know, because part of the Starlove podcast is being educational. How might people look at the part of fortune differently? I have no idea. I have I've never I've like I said, I never, ever found anybody who had anything um, uh, useful. For, for, see, for, to me, it, it, anything that you do in astrology has got to be useful and useful mm-hmm. 
means that it can help a client. Mm-hmm. I've not found anybody who talks about the part of fortune in a way that's helpful to someone. Most of the people, almost all consultations have something to do with uh, money. You know, I'm, when am I going to get work or mm-hmm. love a relationship issue? Mm-hmm. I would say 85 percent come come under those uh, those those headings. And so let's say, for example, there's a person who uh, is worried about being terminated or, or, or something. I, mm-hmm. I can't see how to bring the part of fortune into a real life situation in a way that's helpful. So that, that's a question that I, I can't answer because I've never seen anybody do it. And uh, it's one of those things. I've never used a part of fortune one time Mm. in a consultation. Um, It's it's just one of those things from the old days that either it needs to be updated or eliminated. And I I opted to eliminate it. Okay. so, you know, again, shifting slightly, but, you know, talking about your musical background and astrology background, you also have an interest in Eastern philosophy and Tao. And it's interesting because. I actually just had, she's going to be coming out uh, around the same time that your podcast is, but Tara Catherine Collins, and she wrote a book, it was 10 years ago, The Three Sisters of Tao, I Ching, Feng Shui, and Chinese Medicine. So mm. it's it's interesting, a couple of y'all are coming on, you know, bringing some of the mm-hmm. Eastern wisdom. Well, I know, it, it is interesting. Um, and I, I'm very fascinated by the I Ching, and it keeps announcing itself in my life in various ways. But, yeah. but t- could you talk a little bit about your interest in Eastern philosophy? Yeah, um, it's something that, that came naturally. Uh, a, a lot of stuff happened to me of life, life important significance between the ages of 13 and 17. And I was coming home from a basketball practice one day with a, a teammate. And um, he was about to get off, get off the train to, to, to go home from the uh from the we in west philadelphia the elevated train it's, it's a subway train it's above the ground and he said hey basil take this book study it man and it was the, the Tao Tao de ching which is the 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 bible for taoism mm-hmm. and i read it and shortly after that someone introduced me to edgar casey mm-hmm. you know all of the past life stuff and and and, and so that's that's kind of how it developed and I'll be honest with you, um, early in life, I was noticing that everybody around me that was who claimed to be a serioso Christian who had the Bible memorized and all that stuff. None of these people were people that I wanted to emulate. Mm. And I would uh, even back then I would read stories about. I remember I was nine years old and there was a story in the Philadelphia Daily News about a uh, a minister who was arrested because he went nuts, you know, and, and, and raped one of the people, one of the ladies coming to the church. And over and over again, I was seeing all of these things with people who claimed to be heavy duty Christians. And I said, you know what, I, I need to look look in a different direction. So that was the motivation. I got into Taoism. I got into Buddhism. Um, mm. I read the, um, God, I've, I've forgotten the, the name of it now. Um, but I got into those things and sort of adopted 
the the idea of Taoism as a life philosophy. And, and basically what that's saying is that um, relax, that everything, mm-hmm. everything that's here is here for a reason and that you can't codify, you can't, uh, we, we live in a system of opposites. We know left because there's a right. We know mm-hmm. because there's a down and there's a reason for everything. And that if you if you just if you just keep cool and I'm 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 saying all of this stuff in street language. If you just keep cool and don't try and force things and and, and so forth, then there's a chance that your life is a better chance that you you're going to be fulfilled in your your everyday life rather than trying to force things and and uh, categorize things mm. this, again this is good that that's bad mm-hmm. it, we have too much of that that kind of stuff where people are characterized by certain things and where did the characterization come from who's who started it that's you know i, I got all into the uh the council of nicaea mm. was, was, uh, the, the, in the fourth fifth and sixth century in rome a bunch of uh guys got together just like in the house of representatives and they basically created the bible um and you know in reading that all of that stuff it it just turned me more towards the eastern philosophy and Mm. and and living life based on that way of seeing things rather than this is good and that is bad, and this kind of person is good, and that kind of person mm. is bad. And if you're gay, you're an abomination. And if you that kind of stuff, that doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I was actually in search of something else. Mm. And Eastern philosophy is is uh, did the trick for me. Okay, that's absolutely wonderful. So we're starting to come down to the wire, but. I've been reading about what you talk about with predictions <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I struggle with predictions because I feel that if somebody has a question, it goes back to say what the poet Rilke says, love the question. And wh- why is this chart kind of announcing itself or why are you coming to me at this moment and how can we take make a turn? I mean, good heavens, astrology is based on turns and cardinal points. And it's, so it's like using, right? I mean, we have the tropical zodiac. It's about turns. And yeah. so, you know, it's if we're not going to make the turn ourselves, I mean, what, you know, if everything's turning, you know, I mean, even the soap <laughs> operas get it right as the world turns. I mean, if you can, if the soap opera can tell us that, but, but predictions are, you know, predictions can be a mugs game but but we we how do you i feel like we're involved in predictions i mean especially if you go back to horary astrology really deals with this explicitly like the condition of the astrologer or whether a chart is even radical to take and even still even with a natal chart sometimes i have my little ways of being like you know what i don't think this is a question to take and there have been a couple times and it only a few but people really pushed me i'm like okay okay and they did not want to hear the message and the times that i didn't take a client where um i just felt like i'm really sorry i can't do this i think you know you might try other means it it was the better path to go but but my question is how just i know it's a 
big topic, but how do you feel about just making predictions in general? How do you feel about that we're involved in these charts? So somehow we're involved in the outcome kind of quantumly and the sort of ethics about getting even involved in predictions. Great question. Um, and the answer is comes 50% from somebody with a, a Virgo moon and 50% from Noel Till training. Mm. Um, I don't use the word prediction. I use the word projection. Mm. Um, ah, yes. I, I, I never, ever try and tell someone that this is going to happen to you at such and such a time. Um, what I do is, is the till training, and it, it makes makes sense to me. Um, let's say that uh, next year, in 20, 2021, a person has uh, a seventh Venus in the seventh house and Pluto is going to transit in opposition to that Venus. And they've got Libra on the cusp of the seventh house. So Venus is like all over that seventh house. And you see this Pluto coming and you know what the nature of, of Pluto is. So where a lot of astrologers might say, well, are, are you in a relationship because next year it's, it's going to break up or it's, it's, you know, that kind of thing. What I do is say, well, uh, listen, Sally, there's a suggestion here of kind of a, an awakening process of mm-hmm. one, one way or another next year regarding relationships. Are you in a relationship? Yes, I'm in a relationship. I've been married 11 years. Okay. How's the marriage been going? Well, to be honest, <laughs> if, if I get that kind of a thing, then I'm going to move more towards, well, well, listen, Sally, this is the deal. Typically, when this contact happens, these are the possibilities. And I'll say, if your relationship hasn't been going well, um, the indications here are, are that you're going to have either an indicate uh, uh, an opportunity to straighten it out mm-hmm. or it's going to straighten you out. One, one, you know, one, one thing or another. Um, I don't. I'm not the kind of astrologer who makes uh, predictions just based on the simple fact that, uh, I, you know, what there have been times in my life when there was a transit or a solar arc or you know whatever predictive system you use took place, and nothing took place in my life, and the reason. Uh, was because I wasn't doing the things to allow it to happen. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, for, for example, a person, a lot of people in astrology, they think, well, Jupiter going over the sun, things are going to drop out of the, the sky and you're going to hit the lottery and all of this stuff. <laughs> These things happen for people who have prepared and deserve mm-hmm. an opportunity. Right. It's, it's not just because a planet is going to dangle something down to you. It, it, it doesn't work that way. So I don't use um, projections. We get them wrong. At UAC 2016, they had a, a, a panel, right. you know, and, and they were talking about the coming election. And 70 percent of those astrologers said that Hillary was going to win. You know, and these are the best that we have to, you know, some of the cream of the crop in the world. They got it wrong. So the the pro- you have to project ahead based on reality, not just based on what's what's uh, spoken about in astrology books. If you have 20 people 
and they all had the exact same horoscope. But one was born to wealthy Hollywood parents and another one was born to a poor farmer in New Zealand. You can't address them the same way. You have to talk about what can happen based mm-hmm. on that person's life. That's common sense. Like right. if, you, if we're talking to Donald Trump, there are things that can happen to Donald Trump that cannot happen to other people who have his horoscope simply right. because they're not in his position. So it, it's kind of a common sense thing. Um, and I don't I don't do the pre- prediction business. What happens? I sit with my client and together we project ahead based on the astrology. What's what's likely to happen based on what has been happening? I always take a history too. Um, for example, uh, let's say a person. You when you go to a doctor for the first time, doctor takes a history. I I do the same thing with with a client because I want to know how that person is how that person's life has acted to certain transits. What happened when Neptune went over the midheaven? Because if I if in six months I see that there's some Neptune thing, well then I have all this history. Well, gee, when Neptune hit the sun, when Neptune hit the moon, when Neptune did this in the past, there was really no change in the person's life. Mm. Rather than the astrology book says that blah blah blah, and you just do so because the astrology book says so. So right. I'm a big believer in projecting ahead. Sometimes I'll, I'll do a, a a prediction, maybe 10% of the time, but it really is myself and the client speaking together about the possibilities of what can happen based on the particular life that they're living. Here's a good example. I have the sun in the seventh house in my horoscope. Mm -hmm. That sun is squared by Saturn, Mm -hmm. um, which is supposed to mean relationships stink. It's nothing (laughs) farther farther from the truth. My marriage is like, forget it good. Mm-hmm. Um, when I met her, when we met for the first time, transiting Saturn was square. Exactly, exactly my seventh house sun. Now, mm-hmm. in any astrology book, you go to read transiting Saturn, square the sun. It's going to be a whole bunch of discouraging, negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet in my life, any time that there's Saturn anything, it's a time of reward. And uh, Noel was explaining to me that the reason why this exists in my life is because I'm naturally a Saturnine person. Mm-hmm. Disciplined. Sure. It's easy for me to focus. It's easy for me to decide that I want to do one thing and focus on that one thing for five years if necessary mm-hmm. in order to, to, to tackle it. It's not going to be that way for everybody else. Right. So if you're not aware, really aware of what the person is about, what their life has been about, what they're about, and you just strictly go on the what astrology says, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. You know? Right. So it, these things, predicting has to be, for me, has to be done in conjunction with awareness of uh, the, the life that a person's living and not just be a blind Saturn's going to square your Venus next year, so your relationship's going to be over. Well, you know, and as a rejoinder to some of that 
the you know even saint augustine about twins like how can <laughs> twins turn out differently there's exactly. actually some yeah there's very interesting even current research about twins and why they develop certain ways genetics and environment so it's you know he was saying this thousands of years ago <laughs> like if mm-hmm. you have this anyways so we're, we're about out of time so what you know wow you've had this amazing career but you're still you know still going strong so what what are you up to well actually one quick question how have you had time to do it all i was reading on your website you've had like four different driver's license i mean how have you had time to do this all so far in your career well the the driver driver's license stuff is uh it's misleading because they were all states in the united states except okay for the the one in south africa okay um but my astrological career sort of ascended as I got older and I did less less traveling. Okay. You know, when when I was really, really big, I mean, I've I've worn out like a billion passports. I've been, Mm -hmm. geez, Japan 14 times. I've been everywhere like a billion times. As I got older, um, well, during those times, I couldn't really do astrology the way that I wanted to client wise. But it was after I stopped doing all the traveling mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that the I never had to juggle. Let's put mm-hmm. it. Okay. Okay. You know, it, it was either I was really, really heavy in music and I did astrology when I could. And and now it's it's not vice versa, but it's just that I'm not doing any traveling. I'm not going to do if the Rolling Stones call me because they pay so much. <laughs> I'm going to do that tour. But anybody else, you know, if it's not giving me life changing money. I'm not, right. you know, right. so uh, I look at myself now as like this old guy doing astrology. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, what are your general current activities, astrological or otherwise? Um, I've got another book coming out. Uh, it's going to be called the, the uh, no, right now, I'm not going to give a title because I'm, okay. I'm unsettled on it. But okay. what I did was. The, the new way to learn astrology um, was specifically the, the book that I wrote in 1999. That was specifically written for our students in astrolo- in uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. What I've done is I've added four chapters to that book and touched up uh, touched up some of the other other chapters um, so that it's has more of a basil slant. And a little less of a of a, a till slant. So that's that's the the big astrology thing that I'm working on. I've got tons and tons and tons of uh, students, and I, I you know I love helping people with astrology. And mm. and there's a uh, I was recently asked to take part in a new magazine, right? Seven, right? And uh, we're going to get that rolling. That'll be up and running in February. It's myself and about a dozen other astrologers. And pr- pretty much everybody can just go to newwayastrology.tumblr.com. And um, I think you have a Twitter as well, New Way Astrology. So people can get everything there, correct? Uh, that's that's absolutely right. And I'm active on on uh, I'm active on Facebook. I'm at ab- okay. I'm active on Instagram. Oh, okay. What's your Facebook? Um. That's a good question. What do I call myself on, on, on Facebook? <laughs> well, if, if you just search search my name, I think I'm. Am I B Fear? Usually I go by B Fear. Let me let me open it up and see. Okay. Wow, that's. Um, I use Facebook so much I never even thought about what my where I go as. 
All I go is my name. How about that? Okay. Wonderful. So, and then also um, a couple albums, Kamir Jano, which you were, came out in January 2019, and you said you named that after your two sons. And yeah. then in January 2021, which I love the title of this album, it's going to be called The Joy of Creativity. Yes. So uh, it, any briefly brief sort of notes about those two albums, like what you're trying to do, the sound of it, style? Yeah, um, the, the, the first one, uh, Kamira Jano, when I came, came up in, um, in music, the people who know me, they know me as a result of playing things that are um, don't display the the everything that I can do. Mm. So I wanted I wanted to do a record that showed not only can I play more bass than what you've been been hearing uh, mm-hmm. you've, you've heard of me from Roberta and all of that stuff, but um, I can write I can arrange I can produce and 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 all that stuff. So I wanted to do something that showed the extent of my uh, of what I can do. This next record will sort of be a, a continuation of that, but I've, I had such good response from the first record. So many interviews and so many, mm-hmm. just such a, a nice vibe that I don't, I no longer feel like I have to prove myself, you know, that I can do more. I, I, I feel like people know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the next one will have a little less of an edge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, I combine all the genres that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. um, and you know I, I like everything. So the the music is going to be everything, and just the joy of creating. You know, mm. I'm the type of person that if I go for long without creating anything, I right. physically get ill. Right. Right. Know, or whatever the case may be. You know, it's interesting. There's a, a lady, she wrote a book called The Happiness Myth, uh, Jennifer Michael Hecht, and she talks about people, especially nowadays, being so obsessed with external career success that it, and then sort of worshipping sort of the idols of Hollywood or yeah. other people yeah, that actually we subvert our own personal creativity. Yep. So... And that's a real thing, I think, to think about right now. Actually, I just have one kind of quick last question. Are there any, you know, jazz giants that you really love? I mean, I um, I know you mentioned Miles Davis or, uh, you know, if you weren't playing with him or Roberta, but any, you know, jazz giants that you really love? Man, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, sure. <laughs> there's uh, Miles Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the three. Herbie, Herbie Hancock, over over and above anybody else that ever mm-hmm. is is like my guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are in in the bass world, um, my friend since 1973. Well, people are not gonna people are not gonna know the names of, of sidemen, but um, it's basically yeah. You got Miles, Chick, and Herbie. Those are there's a a bass player from uh, Eastern. He's from in Israel and his name is Avishai Cohen. Mm-hmm. I love absolutely love his compositional work. And his mm-hmm. his name is now included amongst, you know, amongst those. But mm-hmm. geez, asking me that question is like <laughs> me asking you 
what's the favorite most favorite pair of shoes you ever had in your life mm-hmm. you know yeah can you remember all your shoes i mean i i can't even remember no no you know um but they herbie chick and miles they stand out so much that it's always sure. easy easy to remember them and now avishai cohen mm-hmm. all right absolutely wonderful anything else you'd like to say to close us out uh astrology is a wonderful thing don't abuse it you know don't don't look for it don't look for yourself to be able to gain control over other people mm-hmm. use it to help people um you know that's it's, it's all about everything is about helping each other and astrology in my opinion is the greatest tool that there is to help a person don't abuse it you know don't come cr- across like you you're somebody that has this crystal ball and your life is perfect because if everything was about having astrology, knowing astrology very well, every astrologer's life would be perfect. There'd be no, right. there'd be no astrologer that ever had a divorce. You got people, astrologers out here who specialize in sinistry who've had a divorce. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know? So uh, just be practical. Think about helping people. Think less about yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close it on that. So this is Dan Beck signing off from the Star Love Podcast. And remember, if you love the stars, they'll love you back. On the next episode of the Star Love Podcast, we welcome professional astrologer, author, and current philosophy graduate student, Marin Altman. We discuss everything from Marin's killer vegan recipes, to her effort to ground the woo, to her growing astrological media presence. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in sponsoring a future episode or season of the Star Love Podcast, email Manager James at james at intermakeup.net. To make a wish for yourself and support the continued production of the Star Love Podcast, visit the Leave a Tip Make a Wish section at intermakeup.net.